Tertium Organum by Peter Svensky. Read by Alice Flanagan. Chapter 3. In another of his books, The Fourth Dimension, Hinton makes an interesting remark about the method by which we may approach the question of the higher dimensions. This is what he says. Our space itself bears within it relations through which we can establish relations to other, in brackets, higher spaces. For within space are given the conception of point and line, line and plane, which really involve the relation of space to a higher space. End of quote. If we concentrate upon this thought and consider the very great difference between the point and the line, between the line and the surface, surface and solid, we shall indeed come to understand how much of the new and inconceivable the fourth dimension holds for us. As in the point, it is impossible to imagine the line and the laws of the line. As in the line, it is impossible to imagine the surface and the laws of the surface. As in the surface, it is impossible to imagine the solid and the laws of the solid. So in our space, it is impossible to imagine the body having more than three dimensions and impossible to understand the laws of the existence of such a body. But studying the mutual relations between the point, the line, the surface, the solid, we begin to learn something about the fourth dimension, i.e. of fourth dimensional space. We begin to learn what it can be in comparison with our three-dimensional space and what it cannot be. This last we learn first of all, and it is especially important because it saves us from many deeply inculcated illusions which are very detrimental to right knowledge. We learn what cannot be in the fourth dimensional space, and this permits us to set forth what can be there. Let us consider these relations within our space, and let us see what conclusions we can derive from their investigation. We know that our geometry regards the line as a tracing of the movement of a point, the surface as a tracing of a movement of a line, and the solid as a tracing of the movement of the surface. On these premises we put to ourselves this question. Is it not possible to regard the fourth dimensional body as a tracing of the movement of a three dimensional one? But what is this movement and in what direction? The point moving in space and leaving the tracing of its movement, a line moves in a direction not contained in it because in a point there is no direction whatsoever. The line moving in space and leaving the tracing of its movement, the surface, moves in a direction not contained in it because moving in a direction contained in it, a line will continue to be a line. The surface, moving in space and leaving a tracing of its movement, the solid, moves also in a direction not contained in it. If it should move otherwise, it would remain always the surface. In order to leave a tracing of itself as a solid or three-dimensional figure, it must set off from itself, move in a direction which in itself it has not. In analogy with all this, the solid, in order to leave as the tracing of its movement, the fourth-dimensional figure, in brackets hypersolid, shall move in a direction not confined in it, or in other words, it shall come out of itself, in italic, set off from itself, move in a direction which is not present in it. Later on will be shown in what manner we shall understand this. But for the present we can say that the direction of the movement in the fourth dimension lies, and in italics, out of all directions which are possible in a three-dimensional figure. We consider the line as an infinite number of points, the surface as an infinite number of lines, the solid as an infinite number of surfaces, 
In analogy with this, it is possible to consider that it is necessary to regard a four-dimensional body as an infinite number of three-dimensional ones, and four-dimensional space as an infinite number of three-dimensional spaces. Moreover, we know that the line is limited by points, and that the surface is limited by lines, that the solid is limited by surfaces. It is possible that a four-dimensional body is limited by three-dimensional bodies. Or it is possible to say that the line is a distance between two points, the surface a distance between two lines, the solid between two surfaces. Or again, that the line separates two points or several points from one another, in brackets, for the straight line is the shortest distance between two points, close brackets. That the surface separates two or several lines from each other, that the solid separates several surfaces from one another. So the cube separates six flat surfaces, one from another, its faces. The line binds several separate points into certain whole, in brackets, the straight, the curved, the broken line, close brackets. The surface binds several lines into something whole, in brackets, the quadrilateral, the triangle, close brackets. The solid binds several surfaces into something whole, in brackets, the cube, the pyramid. In italics, it is possible that four-dimensional space is the distance between a group of solids, separating these solids, yet at the same time binding them into some to us inconceivable whole, even though they seem to be separate from one another. In italics. Moreover, we regard the point as a section of a line, the line as a section of a surface, the surface as a section of a solid. By analogy, it is possible to regard the solid in brackets, the cube, sphere, pyramid, close brackets, as a section of a four-dimensional body and our entire three-dimensional space as a section of a four-dimensional space. If every three-dimensional body is a section of a four-dimensional one, then every point of a three-dimensional body is the section of a four-dimensional line. It is possible to regard an atom of a physical body not as something material, but as an intersection of a four-dimensional line by a plane of our consciousness. The view of a three-dimensional body as a section of a four-dimensional one leads to the thought that many, in brackets for us, separate bodies may be the section of parts of one four-dimensional body. A simple example will clarify this thought. If we imagine a horizontal plane intersecting the top of a tree and parallel to the surface of the earth, then upon this plane, the sections of branches will seem separate and not bound to one another. Yet in our space, from our standpoint, these are sections of branches of one tree, comprising together one top, nourished from one root, casting one shadow. Or here is another interesting example expressing the same idea, given by Mr. Leadbeater, the theosophical writer in one of his books. If we touch the surface of a table with our fingertips, then upon the surface will be just five circles, and from this plain presentment it is impossible to construe any idea of the hand and of the man to whom the hand belongs. Upon the table's surface will be five separate circles. How from this is it possible to imagine a man with all the richness of his physical and spiritual life? It is impossible. Our relation to the four-dimensional world will be analogous to the relation of that consciousness which sees five circles upon the table to a man. We just see fingertips. To us, the fourth dimension is inconceivable. We know that it is possible to represent a three-dimensional body upon a plane, that it is possible to draw a cube, 
a polyhedron, or a sphere. This will not be a real cube or a real sphere, but a projection of a cube or a sphere on a plane. We may conceive of the three-dimensional bodies of our space somewhat in nature of images in our space of to us incomprehensible four-dimensional bodies. End of chapter 3